Friday edition of PFTPM. Another week closer to death. Miles Simmons not wearing his Michael J. Fox life preserver. Miles, how are you? Week closer to death. It's usually Friday, you know? I mean, you, you messed me up a little bit there. Keep me on my toes, though. It's all right. Now, the question is, have you watched Back to the Future? No. When would I, when would I have done that? In the last two days. You gotta give me some time, It's two man. hours. I... It's two hours. <laughs> when you're sitting there sipping your makers, pour yourself a little makers, <laughs> fire up Peacock, and you are correct, the entire Back to the Future trilogy, I will not vouch for the quality of two or three, but okay. one I will fight to the death on behalf of one is one of the great movies of all time i will ask you here's the thing i'm going to pester the hell out of you i'm going to ask you every time we do Uh, this together if you've watched back to the future yet so you're gonna have to watch it (laughs) just to get me to quit asking you yeah well i'll quote nick saban right i'm I'm not going to so you can quit asking actually i I probably will watch the movie (laughs) okay good um yeah here's what we're going to be doing over the course of the next hour We will be getting you ready for week seven of the 2021 NFL season. We know that week seven's already begun with the Browns beating the Broncos. We'll get you all the news coming up in about 40 minutes. Football pod in America. Oh, I forgot. Hey, congratulations to your Browns. And I don't know if you saw this because I assume that you, like me, watch none of the other products that are available on Peacock throughout the course of the day. But yesterday, Sims and I picking the games, Mm -hmm. he picked the Broncos. I picked the Broncos. And he said something that made me think, you know what? The Browns are going to win this game. The Browns are going to win this game. And I flipped to the Browns. I just can't. There was something that gave me a sense that the Browns are going to have a level of desperation that the Broncos are not going to be able to match. That the Browns really needed to win that game. Because three and four is not acceptable for a team with those expectations. They found a way to win the game. Well, no, of course they did. And I, I expected them to. And I think that they got what they needed out of Case Keenum. You know, it's exactly what we were talking about on Wednesday. He's a steady hand. He knows exactly how to run that offense and operate in that offense. I will say I was a little bit frustrated when Kevin Stefanski kept going like empty sets with your backup quarterback who really doesn't have very much of an arm, especially on first down when you're, you know, getting close to the red zone or you're in the red zone and then you end up kicking a field goal and the field goal gets blocked. That was a little bit annoying, but you know, I thought that uh, Stefanski, the offensive line, Johnson, they did a masterful job there in the fourth quarter. When you get the ball back about five minutes left and you don't give it back to the opposition, that is, ah, I love that brand of football. A good four-minute drill really gets me fired up, Mike. I guess that's the uh, former high school offensive lineman in me. Right down the field, the Browns went with five minutes and yeah. change left. And Peter King and I talked about this earlier today. The best call was the first call. The play action pass to Austin mm-hmm. Hooper, eight yards. That took all the momentum out of the Broncos. That was the punch in the gut. And then Dearness Johnson goes for 20 after that, and it was just inevitable at that point that it was going to be game over. All right, we move on to the weekend that lies ahead of us, the Miami Dolphins hosting the Atlanta Falcons. And it was on Wednesday that John McClain of the Houston Chronicle reported that the Texans could trade Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins by the weekend, and it was on September 1 that Brian Flores, amid rampant rumors and reports that a trade would be happening, declared to the world that Tua Tagovailoa is our quarterback, Flores. 
at it again today, addressing the reports that Watson could be coming to town. Here he is. You know, I don't really get into rumors. Two is our quarterback. We're happy with the quarterback, our quarterback situation. And, you know, I'll leave it at that, which, you know, I've, you know we've said and I've said multiple times. I think his preparation, the way he practices, and the way he performs is, you know, has been good. I mean, I thought he played. I thought he played very well last week. I think his psyche's in a in a good place. Um, he's a confident kid. He's a tough kid, uh, and really, he's played in two games this year. Um, so he should have a lot of confidence in the way he's played. We have a lot of confidence in him because of the way he's played, and. Uh, we just, you know, our focus is on, you know, Atlanta and trying to, you know, for him to play, um, you know, to play well again. Again, it's one thing to see the words on paper. It's another thing to witness the delivery. I don't sense a lot of conviction. I don't sense any I don't passion. <laughs> I don't sense any zeal. This is a guy who is making chicken salad while they await for the filet mignon to show up. That's what, that's what this is. And whether it shows up or not, we got 11 days, and we'll know. But Tua is our quarterback, is a far cry from Tua will be our quarterback. Deshaun Watson is not coming here. We are not trading for him. This is all fake news. This is all BS. And you can either get on the train with me with Tua Tagovailoa, or you can get off and stay off. That's the kind of passion you need to make people believe that this is something other than saying what he has to say. No different than what one of his predecessors in that job once said, Nick Saban reference number two, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. Well, right. But I mean, frankly, I, I feel like I learned a long time ago, it doesn't necessarily matter what coaches say at press conferences, right? They're either going to do what they're going to do or they're not going to do what they're not going to do. I, I, it was a few days before, now I'm kind of hitting the way back button here, uh, the Rams traded Sam Bradford for Nick Foles and Les Snead, or maybe it wasn't a few days, maybe it was a month, whenever it was. But Les Snead said, deleting Sam Bradford is not the answer. And then what do they go ahead and do? They delete Sam Bradford from the roster, and then they bring in Nick Foles, and it turned out Nick Foles wasn't the answer either. But I just feel like no matter what he says, it kind of doesn't matter. But I do agree with you that I'm not really sensing the conviction here from uh, Brian Flores. And it may just be the way he speaks, you know, that's the intonation he uses in press conferences. Maybe he kind of picked that up from Bill Belichick, whatever. But man, that's, that's not, it didn't seem like a very big ringing endorsement to me uh, for Tua Tagovailoa. And here's the other side of it too. If you're flatlined like that all the time, okay, you're never going to seem like you've got a strong amount of conviction. But if on one occasion you do, that makes yeah. it more glaring on those occasions when you do have to stand up there and you find yourself in a must-lie situation. I'll go back a couple years before the Bradford <laughs> Foles trade. Rick Spielman, we have no intent to trade Percy Harvin. And within a yeah. matter of days, if not hours, they traded Percy Harvin. Look, coaches and GMs find themselves from time to time in situations where they must say something other than the truth. The last thing that Brian Flores was going to do today was stand up there and say, okay, here's what's going on, guys. 
We know and you know that Tua really isn't going to be a franchise quarterback. We want to try to get Deshaun Watson. We just can't get the Texans to relent on what they're looking for. If we can get them to relent, then we'll do the trade. Otherwise, we'll stick with Tua because we really don't have much of a choice. Now let's go try to beat the Falcons. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say it. He can't say it. And we accept that. We accept that. Right? There are points where you just have to tell something other than the absolute truth because the truth causes you far more problems than people looking at you saying, I don't think you're telling the truth. So Tua is our quarterback until Deshaun Watson arrives. And here's the other reality, too. Even if they trade for him, there's a chance the NFL is going to say, you're on paid leave for the rest of the year while these other issues, these off-field problems get worked out. So they may be stuck with Tua anyway. You know, there's a belief out there that Tua is going out the door as Deshaun Watson arrives if it happens. I think that it's possible that they have both guys at least for the rest of the year. Oh, it could be, yeah. But the other thing, too, is that even if they, you know, even if these rumors don't go away and they're not going to go away until after the trading deadline, I mean, I don't feel like Tua is going to be in a position to silence the rumors. I, I think that what we know about Tua in the league at this point is that he's a bit of a limited quarterback who can excel in a limited game plan. And it almost kind of reminds me of what the Browns asked Case Keenum to do last night. You don't want to have him do too much because that's going to expose the QB, right? And I feel like that's the way they played against Jacksonville last week in London, where you weren't asking him to do too much because he's not really capable of doing it. And so there's all this stuff that is sort of surrounding to it. And, you know, if he goes out there and performs against Atlanta, throws for 350, three or four touchdowns, uh, then maybe that will back some of this stuff off a little bit. But, Mike, I, I don't see that happening. Do you? No, no. And, and I said this back in late August, early September. The one way that Tua can shut everybody up is to go out there and kick ass, win games, do what Tom Brady yeah. would do. Prove to everyone, yeah. I'm better yes. than Deshaun Watson. Yes. You want Deshaun yes. Watson? Fine. I'm better than him. And he hasn't done that. I mean, you could start by not losing to a team that has lost 20 games in a row. That would be a good place to start if you want to convince the people in Miami that you're the guy. And frankly, I think the Tua Mafia has backed off a little bit after that mm. loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy that we thought back in late March was destined to be traded or cut by the 49ers, is our quarterback, even though they've drafted Trey Lance moving up from 12 to 3 to get him. Lance is out with a knee injury that he didn't know he suffered until after the game that he played in place of Garoppolo. Garoppolo is back. He is ready to go. He's expected to start on Sunday night when the Colts come to town. And this is a great opportunity for Jimmy G to to show that that he is the clear-cut option. He is the best chance for the 49ers to win games, and they need to win this one because 2-4 and four becomes a difficult path, I think, for the 49ers over the rest of the season if they want to try to get to the playoffs. It, it, I think it wipes out winning the division, but at four losses, you got to wonder, can they win enough games to even get to the postseason field? Right. And I mean, yeah, especially considering the division that they're in. And they always play the Rams well, at least they have under Kyle Shanahan with Sean McVay. And those two obviously have a clear history. But I think as well as the Cardinals are playing right now, too, that's a tough task for them in the NFC West. And look, I mean, Russell Wilson, we think, is going to eventually be back for the Seahawks. And 
if Russell Wilson's playing, that's always going to be a tough matchup for them. So, yeah, they really need to beat this Colts team. And it's a Colts team that has played better over the last couple of weeks, and they're not playing the kind of quality opponent, you know, that would probably give them fits. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Colts are going to be able to go across the country for a Sunday night game, knowing that it kind of messes you up going into the next week of things um, if you're the Colts. So I, I don't really know what to expect from Jimmy Garoppolo just because, man, when he's healthy, he's fine. But when he's not, it's like, ugh. and even when he's healthy, sometimes you just, you watch him throw and you're just like, ugh. You see why they went after Trey Lance because that's the guy that they really believe can be the quarterback of the future. Yeah, and the problem is Lance has yet to do enough to make them decide to sit Jimmy Garoppolo down or move on from Garoppolo gets his chance on Sunday night in weather that is expected to be very, very challenging, rain and wind, so we'll see if they can get it done. Martellus Bennett recently appearing with Devin and Jason McCourty on the Double Coverage podcast unloaded on Jimmy Garoppolo, and this reminded me of some comments that Jermaine Wiggins, who played for the Patriots but not with Garoppolo, he was there years before, but he's on WEEI in Boston. He said back in... March after the trade happened that brought or that that gave the 49ers a third overall pick that Patriots players from 2016 wondered whether or not they could depend on Jimmy Garoppolo and Martellus Bennett clearly one of those guys because he told the McCourties and I'm not going to use the language that he used but basically Garoppolo tapped out too late on a Sunday of a game against Buffalo during the Tom Brady suspension in 2016, and Jacoby Brissett was thrust into action with a bad thumb, and basically Garoppolo was trying to protect himself, and you know the injury agent was involved, etc. But the message was, you can't count on this guy. You can't depend on this guy, and you can't win with a guy like that at quarterback. Strong stuff from Martellus Bennett, which gives us an idea of what the Patriots players thought of him, and maybe one of the reasons why the Patriots didn't hesitate to pull the trigger on a trade in 2017. Well, unfortunately, I mean, the, the problem with Jimmy Garoppolo is that he can't stay healthy, right? I mean, he's only been through one entire season healthy. And granted, the, the 49ers did go to the Super Bowl. And if he hits Emmanuel Sanders, who knows how we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and who knows where Trey Lance is playing today. But I, it just it sort of follows kind of what we know about Jimmy Garoppolo from a far in his career and it's not necessarily his fault that he can't stay healthy but he can't and it is hard to depend on somebody when they're not healthy right and so like that's the thing you know coaches talk about you can't make the club in the tub the best ability is availability and all those different things so I, I understand what Martellus Bennett is saying and I guess you know the only question left is what does Martellus Bennett look like what do you mean well, you know, what does he look like, Mike? Does he look like does he look like what he was calling Jimmy Garoppolo? Do you know what I'm uh, referencing? Right now? <laughs> I, I no, I don't know. I that's whooshed. right over my no, head. Go watch Pulp Fiction. Go watch Pulp Fiction this weekend. If I gotta watch, is it, uh, is it a Back to the Future reference? No, if I've got to watch Back I, to the I think, Future, I think I know what you're talking Pulp about. Pulp Fiction again, Martellus. Samuel Jackson. There you go. I got it. Martellus, yeah. you're working it. You're working it. You got it. It took me a while. I didn't know what you were talking about. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, there's a segue here somewhere. Is there? Congress. There <laughs> I may think be. I messed it up. Congress. Nah. No. Congress. Uh, 
wants to know more about the Washington football team investigation. I thought it was funny that the NFL's statement in response to the four-page letter that outlines all sorts of stuff Congress wants to see about the investigation, the response was, we look forward to speaking with the office of Representative Carolyn Maloney, not we're fully committed to cooperating with anything they mean. They didn't say that because I don't think they're going to cooperate. I think they're going to play a shell game, the same shell game they're playing with the media over this, the same shell game they're playing with the court in St. Louis, frankly, over information that they've been ordered to produce there. They will obfuscate as long as they can because they don't want us getting to the truth because the truth stinks. And one of the things they specifically ask for, information about Jeff Pasha's role in the Washington football team investigation, which tells me they're up to speed on the issue. Because one of the reasons why maybe this stuff was all hidden was to hide Jeff Pash's communications with Bruce Allen. And some of them were leaked. That doesn't mean we've been privy to all of them. The league downplayed it when I asked him this week about more than a thousand emails between Bruce Allen and Jeff Pash over 10 years. Oh, that works out to two a week. Fine. Then show them to us. If it's no big deal, if you're going to downplay it, just show them to us. Satisfy our curiosity. If there's nothing there, show us. The more you fight, the more we believe there's something there. And fortunately, Miles, Congress has answered the call. Who knows where it's going to go from here? But Congress pushing the NFL for information is a lot more likely to lead to the information coming out than Congress not pushing the NFL for information. Uh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, we were talking about this on Wednesday, you know, it was going to be is Congress going to be getting involved because the NFL is it's a public interest kind of deal. Right. This is the most popular sport in America. It's the one thing that people will tune into and watch live. So there is a public interest um, element here. And I think that that's good. And the other thing that, you know, you wrote, Mike, on PFT is that it seems like the Oversight Committee has a thorough understanding of the issues that are you know, raised by the Washington football team investigation and how the league handled it. And I think that's important because when you go into it with an understanding, it probably will prevent one of those viral moments that happened um, a few weeks ago with Senator Richard Blumenthal saying, will you commit to ending Finsta? which you're laughing yeah. and like, I have a hard time saying it without laughing too, because it was just a little bit ridiculous. Like that's not what's going on here with Facebook. You can't just end Finsta without ending the entire thing. Anyway, if you haven't seen the clip, you should go look it up. It's pretty funny. But I, I think it, well, from that standpoint, it just, it makes a lot of sense from uh, the oversight committee where they have this understanding and saying, listen, we, we understand what's going on right now. And we need more explanation from you on these specific aspects of what's what's happened here. And that hearing inspired an SNL cold open. The Washington football team situation with John Gruden inspired an SNL cold open. So maybe one of these days there will be an SNL cold open that is based upon the hearings that will happen in the House Oversight and Reform Committee involving the Washington football team. And witness number one should be Beth Wilkinson. Yeah. Just yeah. just come in and tell us what you told the NFL. You weren't asked to prepare a written report. Come in and give us your oral report on exactly what you found. And, Miles, to make sure everyone understands what, what we believe, what I believe, and you can tell me if you believe otherwise, I think they're trying to keep that information hidden because if it comes out, it is as untenable for Daniel Snyder to continue to own the Washington football team as it was for John Gruden to continue to be the coach, as it was for Donald Sterling to continue to own the Clippers. Once that stuff is out there in the public domain, it's over. 
Yes. Yeah. Jerry Richardson with the Carolina Panthers as well. You know, that, that, so those are the kinds of things that I just, I feel like if we do get some of these answers that were trying to be uh, covered up, you know, from the standpoint of we did not have a written report, which is something that we've had for things like deflate gate. We can talk about this and have a written report for things like deflated footballs. And I think I've said this before. Tom Brady could have been throwing a freaking brick around against the Colts and they still would have won that game. Then this is something that is, I think, much more serious. And I think we needed to have a written report for this. We need whatever answers that Beth Wilkinson has. People get it when the misconduct involves players or coaches. Chapter and verse detail made available to everyone with full transparency. But, oh, we're getting a little too close to one of the oligarchs. Mm -hmm. No written report. No evidence. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. The great and powerful Oz has spoken. Let's take a break. Five questions. Or maybe four questions. No, five questions. Is it four or is it five? I don't know. Five questions heading into the weekend when PFTPM continues. You were here when Jared Goff came in. You guys spent five seasons together. What's it going to be like? <laughs> it's going to be fun. You know, it's, it's, it's competition, opportunity, to, um, you know, just make a play. You know, we, I've, been, I've been texting him this week, just cracking jokes here and there. So, um, you know, we're we going we gonna to do our job and get after him and try to, you know, um, have some success. So, Is it going to be a little weird when you, I mean, you have to go after, you're going to go after him full speed? And no, I'm, I ain't going to be worried at all. I told, I told him, get ready. I told him, yeah, I'm going to come after him. So, he know, he know what it is. So, um, But, you know, I'm going to go out there, fly around, trying to make my plays when they present themselves. So, um, and hopefully I'll get to him a couple times. So. What did he say back in the text if he said that? He said something funny back, but that's, it. that's between us. So. Uh, if I was Jared Goff and I started getting text messages from Aaron Donald this week, I'm throwing my phone into the nearest body of water. I don't want to be thinking about what Aaron Donald's got in store for me, but all those Rams players that have practiced against him, they know what he can do, they know what he can't do, and the guys who have had to stay away from him as he's worn the red jersey all those years, they can't wait. Miles. So question one, does Jared Goff have any shot against Aaron Donald and the Rams? The only way I would say he has a shot is if I thought that the Rams weren't taking him seriously, and I don't think that that's going to be the case at all. I, I just... You know, listening to Aaron Donald right there, like he knows that Jared Goff wants to come in there and perform well. Now, the Lions are just not a very good football team right now. The Rams are a very good football team. They want to make Jared Goff look as bad as he is. I just, I think that they're taking this too seriously to not, to, to have this be a letdown. And the one thing I'd love to know is how involved Sean McVay was in the defensive meetings this week, helping Raheem Morris get ready for facing Jared Goff, and who knows, maybe they spent a bunch of time in the offseason. Maybe this has been McVay's job number one, making sure that no matter what happens, they do not lose to Jared Goff, the guy whose contract they could not wait to unload to dump after the 2020 season. Zach Wilson, second overall pick in the 2021 draft, four interceptions in week two when the Jets hosted the Patriots. The Jets go to New England this week, where the Patriots have yet to win a game so far this season. Does he have any shot against Bill Belichick in round two? No. And, you know, we heard him in the open talking about, man, it's kind of weird. You know, you see a team twice and you have at least a better idea of what they're going to try to do to attack you. No, you don't, Zach. This is Bill Belichick. He's going to give you more things you haven't seen, buddy. So, no, sorry. No, man. No, 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 no. I, I don't see this going very well for Zach Wilson at all, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I don't either. And it's going to take some time for Zach Wilson in the NFL, especially against a guy like Bill Belichick. But hopefully these experiences, for his sake, will help him develop into the best quarterback he can be. Third question, is Joe Burrow ready to prove the Bengals are on the Baltimore Ravens level? This reminds me of Bears-Packers last week where you look at it, it's like, holy crap, if the Bears win this game, they're tied for first place in the NFC North and technically hold it because they'd have the tiebreaker. Same thing here. If the Bengals beat the Ravens, they're in first place technically in the AFC North. Can Joe Burrow prove that the Bengals are on the same level as the Ravens? So I feel like Joe Burrow's ready for primetime. You know, I feel like, especially with Jamar Chase, those two guys have really picked up right where they left off in college. And, and I'll say it, I was probably wrong on thinking that the Bengals needed to draft an offensive lineman instead of Jamar Chase. But I guess we'll see, you know, if I'm really, really proven wrong down the road. I I almost feel like, though, it's more about the Bengals' defense than it is about the Bengals' offense. I think that the Bengals' offense will be able to score, but it's always can that defense that's facing the Ravens hold their rushing attack down? You know, Murray's not going to be playing in this game. I believe he's out. Sammy Watkins not going to be there either. But if you can stop Lamar Jackson in some way then you're going to have a chance to win. So to me, it's just way more about the defense than it is about Burrow because they're going to be able to score points, I think. But it's just, can that defense hold them down in the run game? Bears and Bucks together again since uh, first time since last year, that Thursday night game that culminated in Tom Brady losing track of the downs, having a senior moment. Can the Bears defense force Tom Brady into another brain fart this year, Miles? Uh, no, because I think we all know that Brady is good enough at making straw men where there aren't any in the first place, right? You know, we were talking about this the other day, I think, when he was talking about, oh, everybody says we suck and we can't win any games. Nobody was saying that, and they don't have to do that for this. The Bears beat them last year, one of the few losses that they had, especially on the stretch. So, like, Brady is going to be motivated enough that even though they've got a bunch of guys out, they're going to be just fine, Mike. Yeah, this is one of those glitches on his permanent record from last year that he wants to erase. And even though he made the mistake, not the Bears, it's the Bears again. And this is something that I'm sure has bugged him every day since he did it last year. This is his chance to wipe the slate clean, and he will wipe up the turf at Raymond James Stadium with the Chicago Bears. I think that game has the potential to get ugly. Last question. With the Panthers traveling to New York to take on the Giants, technically New Jersey, will the Giants management, rotting from the head down, the true head is all the way up at the top, not head coach Joe Judge, will they realize that they whiffed in not matching the money that the Carolina Panthers were willing to pay to get Matt Rule and taking Joe Judge instead? Who's to say that Matt Rule's like a really, really great, successful NFL head coach? I mean, I understand that he's not had Christian McCaffrey for many, most of his tenure, frankly. I think he only played three games last year, and now he's on IR again. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Matt Rule's that much better than Joe Judge. Obviously, like, Joe Judge has not performed. uh, Joe Judge's team has not performed that well. They're 1-5 and for the second year in a row, but it's like – chicken or the egg thing like is joe judge really that bad or is it like you said the the fish rotting from a higher point uh in the head there and and the key is the head of the fish will never admit that it stinks that's the bottom line as jed york (laughs) said a few years back you can't fire owners and and uh there are plenty of teams that maybe would benefit from firing their owner, but, uh, you know, and, and, and look, hey, does John Mayer have a right to be involved in his team? Sure he does. He owns it. But 
common link, just like Miami and just like some other teams we've seen. Sometimes the owner needs to get out of the way. We're going to get out of the way for just a minute or two when we return. What we can't wait to see as week seven approaches. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. realize it was that long. All right. And there it is. Jim Ursay asking for your favorite Colts Sunday Night Football memory. And Miles, influenced by my snarky, smart-ass nature, or maybe you were already that way. That play, that whatever that was, I remember when that happened, and I tweeted this in response to you. I was convinced Chuck Pagano was trying to get fired. I really, I really was. And I really cannot watch that without cracking up, man. It's like there's that right. play. And that fake field goal from Jim Zorn in Washington, you know, no nine, crack me up every time. All right, what can't you wait to see this weekend? Give me something. Uh, give me the Chiefs and the Titans. You know, they're playing at Nissan Stadium again for the first time since 2019. And back in that game, Derrick Henry rushed for two, 188. Nobody can slow this dude down right now. And frankly, I think at this point, he's my pick for the MVP of the league. I was there at that game, actually, in uh, 19, and it was ridiculous to see him go against that defense. I think Honey Badger's going to be in the defense at some point, raising his arms like, man, what the heck again in this week? Because they're not going to stop him. I can't wait to see whether or not the Cardinals or the Packers have a letdown on Sunday in advance of a huge Thursday night game. Look, this weekend's slate of game, hey, it happens. It's, we, we, can't, we can only sell it as much as we can. Next Thursday night, holy crap, the Packers at the Cardinals. And yeah. the Packers should be 6-1 and one, and the Cardinals should be 7-0. and oh. Can the Packers not peek ahead against Washington? And can the Cardinals not peek ahead against the Texans? Cardinals are favored by 17.5. All right, give me one more before we wrap up. Uh, can the Raiders keep it up? You know, I just feel like they had such a lift last week. It was interesting to hear Josh Jacobs talk about there was no anxiety on the sideline with Rich Versace as head coach. In obvious implication of John Gruden right there. So can they do it against the Eagles? I'm not sure, but it'll be interesting to see. All right. Well, Football Pod in America up next. Miles and I will see you next Wednesday for PFTPM. Enjoy the game. See you soon. Hello and welcome to our week seven preview. I'm Maria Taylor, that's Mike Florio, and there's the coach, Tony Dungy. And we wanna work through some of the best storylines and games that we're looking forward to. And guys, let's start with the super marquee matchup. We've got the Bengals and the Ravens. And how about Cincinnati for the first time in five seasons? Uh, they're not looking forward to a losing season. They're looking forward to tying uh, the top of the AFC North against the Ravens. Who would have thought we'd be having this conversation? But coach, what have you enjoyed watching about Cincinnati as they've entered and come on this role as of late? Well, I've loved watching them just get better and better every week, uh, getting more explosive on offense, making plays on defense. Joe Burrow, you know, you're coming off a, an ACL surgery and an injury. How is he going to respond? How good is he going to be? How quickly? And I think he's, you know, erased all those doubts. He's ready to go. And uh, I think this is going to be a tremendous game. The word that Drew Brees used Sunday night was ascending, and I think that hits the nail on the head. The Bengals moving in the right direction. What intrigues me is what surprises will the Ravens have in store for Joe Burrow? We've seen him react well to 
coverages that maybe he didn't expect. The zero blitz against the Jaguars a few Thursday nights ago, and he dipped into the playbook and pulled something out that worked and ended up fueling what ultimately was their come-from-behind victory. He's got that brain already in only his second season. The question is, can the Ravens outsmart him? Mike Golick said something on Monday's PFT Live that really resonated with me. Justin Herbert, the Chargers quarterback, after the Ravens stomped the Chargers on Sunday, said they did things on defense we'd never seen on film. I just wonder what other surprises the Ravens may have in store for Joe Burrow to try to confuse him and expose him as a young quarterback. Last year, they beat the Bengals and Burrow 27 to three in Baltimore. They're going to try to do that same thing again. Well, we've seen Joe Burrow complete more than 70% of his passes, Florio. So what he's had is success in the passing game. But when you look at the Ravens defense, then coach, what is it about them that you think Justin Herbert is seeing? What have they been able to change schematically? What are they throwing at quarterbacks that make it difficult to play against them? Well, well, I thought for a couple of weeks the Ravens got away from their identity. We saw them against Kansas City say, you know, we can't blitz. We can't throw the kitchen sink at Patrick Mahomes. And I, I think they got a little conservative there for a couple of weeks. But here lately, we're seeing everything. And you better have some weaponry, some guys who can scare them. Now, Cincinnati does, not, not just Jamar Chase, but they've got a lot of weaponry on the outside. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a great chess match of them throwing these multiple blitzes and seeing if Joe Burrow can hurt them. All right, let's talk about that uh, Baltimore offense, though, because injuries have really taken the cake, Florio. That has been the storyline coming into the season for the Ravens. But it seems like every single game they found someone to step up. They found a way to still get the win. Um, what is the latest uh, with the status of just who we're going to see active and on the availability list for the Ravens? It's amazing when you consider their running backs, and they've made the comments as it relates to it's the 2016 Pro Bowl team that they have in their backfield. Le'Veon Bell has gotten involved. Latavius Murray is involved. Devontae Freeman. But the one guy who has stayed healthy is Lamar Jackson. And there was a story that popped up several weeks back that, you know, he represents himself. He hasn't gotten his contract. He's too focused on football. They have their buy after this game. First order of business for Lamar Jackson needs to be get the financial security that he has earned, get the money that he deserves, and quit exposing himself to these physical risks. We see how he plays, and it's amazing. And I don't, I don't think anybody thought he'd make it this long with that style, and he has. But you don't want to keep rolling the dice. I hope in the two weeks they have between this game and the next one, he gets the contract he deserves because he's the reason that they're five and one. All the other parts are interchangeable, but there is no replacement for Lamar Jackson. I like what you did no, there. The Mike, only person mentioned. that matters on the list coach is Lamar Jackson right now for the offense, for the Ravens. <laughs> he, he is the key. He really is. And you might mention uh, those different backs that are playing there. Now, if I was a running back, no matter how much talent or how little talent I had, I would want to go to Baltimore because in that read option scheme, and everybody's eyes focused on Lamar Jackson, you're getting the ball when nobody's around you, when there's holes there and people are playing Lamar. So if you can run at all, you have a chance to run in that scheme. And I think these, these 2016 Pro Bowl backs are really enjoying that. All right, guys. Well, I'm not going to let us sit here and talk about a running game without instantly talking about the Titans and Derrick Henry. And they're taking on the Chiefs uh, this week. And we know that Derrick Henry right now is leading the NFL in rushing. I want to stop all the presses and just have a conversation. Coach, how would you stop him if it was your job to slow down Derrick Henry in some way, shape or form? 
Well, it's amazing because we talked about Baltimore where you don't really focus on the running backs. You're worried about Lamar there. That, every team is coming in saying, we've got to take away Derrick Henry. We've got to stop Derrick Henry. And they stop him for a quarter, a quarter and a half. Sometimes they stop him for two and a half quarters. But somewhere along the line, he revs up a, a big run. He gets stronger as the game goes on. And, and at the end of every week, he's got 120 to 175 yards. And I, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Uh, I think he's going to roll through Kansas City. I don't think they have a great run defense. Uh, I think this is going to be a really, really high-scoring game. But I would look for him to get close to 200 yards. I really do. It's amazing he had only 58 yards week one against the Cardinals. Since then, he's done so much. He's on pace for 2,283 this season, which would be a record. A 17th game helps, but having Derrick Henry helps you get there. And I felt so bad for Micah Hyde this week. He broke into the free against, uh, against the Bills. And I, Micah Hyde was like diving on a grenade. He had no choice. He had to take the hit. He was the last guy. But if you get in Derrick Henry's way, the only thing you can do is try to hit him as low as possible so he doesn't put you down on the ground like he did with so many others that we've seen over the years. I just wish that we would all appreciate him. Not us. I think we do. But I think fans don't appreciate this guy for what he is. He's a modern-day Jim Brown. He's Adrian Peterson of this decade. We appreciated Adrian Peterson when he was doing what he was doing. I just feel like maybe it's because the Titans aren't aren't one of those short-list sizzle teams, but what Derrick Henry's doing is really special, and, and I hope that, that he gets the, the notoriety and the, the attention he deserves for it. Gloria, I can promise you one thing. We will do it right here on our preview show, okay? Every single week we're going to come back to it, and we're going to be like, Derrick Henry is doing something we haven't seen before, okay? We're going to do it every time. But five straight games, he's had at least 100 yards rushing, so we have to certainly give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do, knowing that people come in wanting to stop him and have not found a way to. Um, but on the flip side of that, let's talk about what we've seen from Kansas City because, Coach, uh, the, when you talk about him, when you talk about trying to get back to fundamentals, you talk about how you have to do the very ordinary things. Well, I don't even know the quote. You're going to remind me of it. I'm sorry. I don't mm -hmm. remember it. Uh, but we know that Patrick Mahomes has had eight interceptions uh, and he's lost some fumbles. And it's just been a difficult season so far for Kansas City and it hasn't been seamless. So come on, coach us up. Tell us what we need to see from Casey. Yeah, I thought last week was a perfect uh, example of Kansas City football in 2021. They scored 31 points. They threw for almost 400 yards. They put the game away, and it looks easy, but three turnovers in the first half. You turn the ball over going in in the red zone. Uh, miscommunication, giving up third and 16 conversions when, when they're not on the same page on, on defense. Tyron Matthew on the sideline going crazy. Um, that's been them. And they're still talented enough. They're explosive enough. They're going to win their share of games. But I think to get back to that championship level, they're going to have to start really playing good football, not just explosive football, but good, solid football, fundamentally sound. And so far, we haven't seen that from Kansas City. And I feel like they've lost their swagger to a certain extent, that inevitability that they're going to get you at some point, that they're going to score 28 points in seven minutes and you can't do anything about it. I don't think they believe it anymore. The opponents don't believe it anymore. And this is a huge game for them because if they lose this and fall to three and four, I don't know what the magic number is for losses this year with 17 games. I don't know when you end up on the outside looking in. But they may have to scramble to get the sixth seed or the seventh seed 
if they don't win a game like this one. they got some tough games coming up. they got the Packers in a couple of weeks. They've got to prove that they can win some games and reestablish, or it's going to be a tough road for them in the postseason. And with that defense, if you just can't stop anybody, you can't count on 30 to 40 points every single game. Gloria, I'm coming back to you with Chris Jones. Uh, will he be making his way back to the field and the difference you think he could help make on Kansas City's defense? He's been limited so far this week in practice. I think it feels like it seems like he'll be good to go, but they've really missed him. And this experiment this year, moving him outside, I don't know, maybe you kick him back inside against a team like the Titans. When they faced the Titans in the 2019 AFC Championship, that was when Derrick Henry was first having his Jim Brown run. And the Chiefs found a way to slow him down just enough. And they were down 10 points in the first half, and they came back and won that game. I think they would be well-served to have Chris Jones in the middle to try to keep Derrick Henry from, from that moment where he pops through the line and then he's gone. No question about it, Mike. They need Chris Jones back, and they need to get him back inside. That's where he's great. That's where he's dominant. Don't take a great player and move him to a spot where he's just going to be a good player. And I think that's what they've done to get some of that swagger back that you're talking about. Put that dominant defensive tackle back where he belongs and let him wreak havoc inside. All right. We'll see if the swagger, the identity of the Kansas City Chief comes comes back against the Titans. What we know for sure is we will talk about Derrick Henry next week because we are going to be on Derrick Henry Watch the entire season right here on our preview shows. Um, the next game I want to talk about, Lions and Rams, which basically means Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. Mike Florio, could you just remind us of the storyline and how we ended up in this place where these two quarterbacks have been swapped and now they're facing off against their former teams? It really is an amazing development in the aftermath of Super Bowl 53 when Jared Goff could have won the game, didn't see Brandon Cooks open, threw it late. We know the rest. The Rams lose. They only score three points. The Rams nevertheless gave Jared Goff a major contract. And two seasons later, they couldn't wait to unload that contract. So what they did to get Matthew Stafford and to get rid of Jared Goff, those two first-round picks and a third-round pick, that, that deal, one of those first-round picks, was sent specifically to Detroit to get rid of the Jared Goff contract. That's how quickly he fell in the eyes of Sean McVay. And now he's coming back. And Goff has every reason to be a little bit upset about how he was treated, but you know, the bottom line is the Rams know him. The Rams know him better than anyone. Aaron Donald can't wait to get after him. The defense knows him. Sean McVay knows how to defend against him. Oh, and Matthew Stafford, by the way, he'll have a little chip on his shoulder going against a Lions team that wasted the best years of his career. So the, this game, if, if, if the Rams weren't 5-1 and one and the Lions weren't 0-6, it would be one heck of a game, wouldn't it? It's just unfortunate both teams are at opposite ends of the NFL spectrum. Mike, I'm a, I grew up in Jackson, Michigan. I'm a longtime Lions fan. My dad was the biggest Lions fan in the world. Unfortunately, we've seen this movie before, and it's not going to end pretty. As a matter of fact, it's going to be very, very ugly. Uh, Jared Goff is a good quarterback. He's a, a very good quarterback when he's in the right situation. Uh, when he was with the Rams and they had running game and they had defense and you're playing from ahead, uh, he looks very good. He is not the kind of guy who can – carry a team and do it on his own. And that's what the Rams are going to force him to do. The Rams are going to score points. The Rams are going to crowd the line of scrimmage and take away the run. And they're going to say, Jared Goff, you have to beat us. And I think it could get very ugly for the Lions. 
Well, right now, you know, Jared Goff is still looking for his first win in his NFL career without Sean McVay being his head coach. And the Lions are the only winless team we still have in the NFL. So it would certainly be an uphill task. We're not saying it's impossible, but the storylines entering the game are enough for us to tune into the game. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next marquee matchup. It's the Bears and the Bucks. And so remember a week ago in Chicago, we saw Aaron Rodgers saying that he still owns the Bears. And now we have another veteran quarterback in Tom Brady coming in. Uh, Coach, if you're the Bucks or you're, if you are the Bears, the best way to defend against Tom Brady would be what coming into this game? Well, the Bears actually have a pretty good formula on defense, and they did a good job on Aaron Rodgers for two and a half quarters. They've got good pass rush. They're sound on defense. They make you earn it. And defensively, I think with Khalil Mack and those guys, they can get after and harass Tom Brady enough that they'll be okay on defense. But the problem is you're going to have to score points to get them out of that, that confidence mode. And that's where I think – you know, the Bears are going to struggle. They've got to – it's not so much their defense. Their offense has to put some pressure on Tampa. We had the Cowboys opening night. Dallas had a great formula. RPOs, make everything look like run, make the, that front seven of the Bucks defend the run, and then throw the football, throw the football. And they could do that with Justin Fields. Uh, but they're going to have to put it in his hands. They aren't going to beat Tampa running the ball. They aren't going to put up a lot of points, power football. Justin Fields has to throw it against this uh, defensive front and throw it when they're not anticipating pass. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be his opportunity to really show that he can get it done. And, and, and the storylines are amazing here. It's the biggest age difference between starting quarterbacks in NFL history. I think every year that Tom Brady keeps playing, that's going to happen two or three times throughout the course of the year, as long as he keeps pushing it farther and farther and 21-year-olds are coming into the NFL. But also, it's the first time Michigan great Tom Brady has ever faced an Ohio State quarterback. And I was blown away by that little tidbit that Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times pointed out earlier this week. But Fields is going to be the guy to make it happen. And it's a bad spot for the Bears because Tom Brady's going to want to atone for this from last year when he thought it was fourth down and it wasn't fourth yeah. down. It was fifth down against the Bears. And, and Justin Fields had nothing to do with that. He was in Columbus. But <laughs> I, I think Tom Brady's going to have a little extra because he screwed it up. He's going to want to destroy the Bears because of that moment from last year. <laughs> and it's not good if you have, you know, a three-time MVP coming in, the reigning Super Bowl champion with any type of vendetta against your team. Uh, but you're right. Let, let's talk about the rookie, though, in Justin Fields. And you guys mentioned it already, the fact that the Bears, they're last in the league in total offense, but they're seventh in rushing. So what is left to be desired is that pass game. How do you find ways to just make him feel comfortable? How do you find ways to help him build trust in himself and the entire offense, Coach? I mean, still young, as Florio just pointed out, last season he was trying to figure out how to beat Clemson in a playoff game, let alone now yeah. being the quarterback of the Chicago Bears and facing Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I know we're going to talk Indianapolis and San Francisco a little bit later on, but Frank Reich, to me, at Indy is a great example of what needs to be done with Justin Fields. Frank Reich learns his quarterback. And he knows what the quarterback's comfortable with. And then he calls plays that, that really fit into the strength of that quarterback. Carson Wentz is playing some good football now under Frank Reich, like he did in, in Philadelphia. To me, that's what Justin Fields needs. Somebody who's Matt Nagy, what does Justin Fields do well? What are the plays that he likes? How can we get him going and get him comfortable? And uh, I think that's what we need to see from the Bears' offense.
And that's a great point, Coach. And when we think back to Matt Nagy's obsession that we saw unfold from late April until late September of Andy Dalton to be the guy. He's the guy. Everything they did in anticipation of this season was premised around Andy Dalton being the quarterback. Think of all the time that was wasted that could have been spent fashioning an offense that is suited to the skills and abilities, the strengths and weaknesses of Justin Fields, and what better position they'd be in in as an offense if they just embraced Fields as the starter from day one. And and think about all the practice time that – Think about all the practice time that Justin Fields missed when Andy Dalton was getting 90% of the snaps as the starter, which he should, but that really has worked against Justin Fields too. So hopefully they're getting a better feel for him and now understand a little bit more of what he does well. I think that sets up a great transition to our Sunday night football game and talk about a quarterback shuffle a little bit with the Chicago Bears. But due to injury, we've seen a a quarterback shuffle, too, with the 49ers, Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Florio, what would be the latest on what we expect to see on Sunday night? Well, Jimmy Garoppolo is good to go with the calf injury that he suffered a few weeks back, caused him to miss a game. They had their bye week last week. Now, Trey Lance emerged from the most recent game with knee swelling, and he may not be available at all for Sunday night. So it's the Jimmy G show. And the 49ers, I think, are in this mode where they're going to ride Jimmy G while he's healthy. If he gets injured, they turn to Trey Lance. But at least for now, Garoppolo gives them the best chance to win. And I think that is an indirect recognition of the fact that Trey Lance hasn't become what they thought he would be. Jimmy Garoppolo still has the faith of the locker room. Kyle Shanahan is smart enough to know not to get the locker room on his bad side or to get on their bad side. You, they, 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 you know what I mean? Regardless, they're going with Jimmy G and they got to turn this thing around because they're two and three. They lose this game and fall to two and four. And we have to start thinking about whether or not the 49ers are going to miss the playoffs. Just like we have to worry about the chiefs, maybe not getting in either. And I really think this helps San Francisco. To me, this will get them back to their identity. When San Francisco made that Super Bowl run, it was strong running, play-action passes off it, and swarming defense. And they got ahead of people. They won the time of possession battle. They made you defend the run. Well, we've been in now a little bit of what are we going to do with Trey Lance? Is it going to be read option? How are we going to use him? Um, They had backs who were hurt, so maybe we can't run it as effectively. This may force them to get back to that, that. Here's who we are. This is our roots. Run the football, pound it. Jimmy will throw the play action passes off of that. And that's who we are. Uh, I I think we're going to see the, the very best of San Francisco on Sunday night. All right, Coach, tell us who the Indianapolis Colts are. And if you don't mention Jonathan Taylor, I'm not just saying this because his last name is Taylor, <laughs> but I'm going to be sad. <laughs> I loved watching him well, in college at Wisconsin, a great kid. So go ahead, the Colts. I, I, think they, I think they are discovering what he can do for them and how he can produce big plays. If you've got that home run threat on the outside that people have to defend, they can't put that safety up in the box, now Jonathan Taylor becomes that much more effective, and he has shown – that when he gets to the secondary, he, he can go to the house. So I, I think explosion on offense, running the ball with Jonathan Taylor, throwing it with T.Y. Hilton, uh, again, that's how you're going to see the best of, of Carson Wentz. And, you know, the thing about Taylor that's so impressive, he, he had so much wear and tear at Wisconsin, and that was one of the concerns coming into the NFL, and that may be why he wasn't a first-round pick. You know, we see Saquon Barkley. Somebody made the point this week, and I wish I remember who it was so I could give them credit for it. Jonathan Taylor basically is becoming what Saquon Barkley was supposed to be. 
But Taylor was a second-round pick. And we saw Dearness Johnson on Thursday night with the Browns, who was undrafted and out of the NFL and sending direct messages to Alliance of American football teams to try to get a chance. There are so many guys out there who can get it done. Jonathan Taylor is getting it done, and that makes a huge difference for the Colts. And I don't write them off in this one. I I actually think they're going to steal this one from the 49ers because they've gotten through their injury issues. Taylor, if they ride him, and Carson Wentz knows how to keep himself healthy, hopefully. The the Colts are better than they've been. And uh, I I like how they responded after losing in heartbreaking fashion to the Ravens on a Monday night. They they destroyed the Texans. I think the 49ers are going to have their hands full. Well, either way you slice it, guys, we are going to be getting you set for that game um, on Football Night in America. I won't make you talk about it anymore because we have plenty of time to do that if you join us at (laughs) 7 Eastern. Um, And don't forget, Derrick Henry is a beast, okay? That is the the point and the purpose of what we've just told you, and we hope you've enjoyed our Week 7 preview. Guys, you've been amazing. Let's do it again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Maria. Thank you.